This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, Stories Behind the Story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, Stories Behind the Story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Ben Ockrey, welcome to Better Reading. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Um, it's. I think we're just talking um, about being lucky just before this podcast started. Um, we started recording and I feel lucky uh, to come into work every day because I really love what I do. But I feel extraordinarily lucky when I come in knowing I'm going to talk to Ben Ockrey. <laughs> oh. I really do. Well, I, I feel lucky sort of to be able to be here and to talk about books and ideas yeah. uh, on a beautiful day like this. Yeah, it's really great. And you've come um, from Western Australia and we'll talk about that. I'm going to introduce you for those that don't know who you are. And, you know, there's a, maybe one or two of those people out there in the world. <laughs> <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's get to them. <laughs> let's get to those two people. Born and raised in Nigeria, Ben Okri is one of the world's most celebrated short story writers, novelists and poets. His first novel, Flowers and Shadows, was published in 1980. And in 1991, he released his best known work, The Famished Road. Drawing on Ben's own experiences growing up in Nigeria, the book charts the life of a spirit child narrator navigating the social and political turmoil of an African nation, and he was awarded the Man Booker Prize in 1991. Now, that gives me goosebumps every time I read that, and I was in London at the time, so it was an extraordinarily great time, I thought. And congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Ben has since published 11 novels and 12 books of poetry, essays and short stories. He is here today to talk about The Freedom Artist, his latest novel, set in a world similar to our own. The Freedom Artist introduce, introduces us to a young woman who is arrested for asking a question and follows her lover on, on his quest to rescue her. A work of beauty, extraordinary beauty, grace and power. The Freedom Artist is one of those most anticipated books of the year, and congratulations on that too. Oh, thank you. Not easy. Not easy. No, I can't imagine it's easy. I want to, firstly, um, our podcasts are called The Stories Behind the Stories, and uh, Stories Behind the Story, and it's what brought you to writing. So I just want a little bit, I mean, I know it, but I want um, our listeners and our readers to hear how you came to writing. Where did you grow up? And where did the passion for writing come from? Um, I've got a lot of questions. Yes, um, I know. I, we I, do I, ask a lot of questions here. <laughs> <laughs> questions are very important. Um, I came to writing through very indirect means, really. It wasn't really the first thing I wanted to do as a kid. Um, if I were to list the things I wanted to do first, you might be a little bit I'm embarrassed by my presence here. Uh, I wanted to be a, a scientist. <laughs> no, no, I like science, <laughs> I, I wanted, actually. I, yeah. I, wanted, I wanted to be a, a pirate, a bandit, that is. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe I wanted, not. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to be a, um, uh, a composer, 
there were no instruments in the house apart from a cranky old guitar and um i wanted to paint um, okay so take the pirate aside no, music. no you have to put the pirate right in the center <laughs> we have to put the pirate in the center but i think music art and books fall into the same category don't they well, so does banditry. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't know enough about it. <laughs> no, by that I just simply mean um, the the impulse to create is also slightly connected to a uh, to a, a very mild um, and benign um, uh, outlaw element. Because um, mm. impulse to create is an impulse to not deviate from the world, but to uh, nudge nudge the world towards something new um, uh, a, a sense of adventure about reality a sense of possibility about reality um, and I was always a happy reader as a child I, I was always what were some of your favorite authors at the time well I read I read everything um, I read you know the things you're supposed to read like comics and Hans Christian Andersen um, I read Shakespeare really early. I read a lot of poets. Um, read Robert Louis Stevenson. So um, there were, your your family home was full of books. Was it something yeah, that you grew up with? Yeah, I grew up with I grew up with books. I grew up with my father was always reading. Um, yeah. And my f- earliest experience of reading was um, uh, reading his copy of the Times one day that he'd gone out uh, and left it there on the, on the, on the table. And it was a moment of embarrassment for the family because they, dad came back in with friends and uh, there was this person reading this paper. Um, <laughs> How old were you? I was about four. Um, was it the right way up? It was the right way up and it <laughs> entirely obliterated me. So you couldn't tell who was behind the newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> very, very sweet. I love, um, I love so, watching children read. There's nothing that w- makes me happier. Watching children read is uh, kind of like a major sign of hope for the world. It's magical, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. It just, it just means that there is one mind forming that's going to be able to ask the right questions about this world yeah. and ask, you know, our politicians and our authority figures. And to be curious all the time. Yes. To, yeah. I think we're of similar age, you and I. Um, I might be a bit older, but, you know. I as, think you're <laughs> considerably younger. <laughs> oh, well. Um, and we've seen a lot of change. I mean, I've, I've watched um, a lot of change in Europe and, and we, we've got Brexit, um, you know, at the moment happening in the UK and in Britain. And we've got a disaster, an equal disaster happening in the US. And we've got some change here, um, some major change happening in this country, a wave of conservatism. Um, that's that's what's sweeping the world right now. It um, is. It's frightening. It's, it is a worrying cycle. How do you think that affects what we read and what we write, really? How does that, how does that translate? Well, I think it makes for a very nervous, a very um, uh, secretly antagonistic atmosphere. Um, I think it makes for uh, a sense of division um, in the world. It exacerbates the divisions um, in the world. Um, it, it makes for, I mean, I spoke about this antagonism, but it also makes for um, a def- defensiveness. It just, it just doesn't make people feel um, hopeful and peaceful um, um, about the world. So for writers, that is a great energy. 
for, for creators, that is a tremendous energy. Um, the few things that really gets our, our creative juices and our creative fury going more than, um, a kind of a pressured world in which we find ourselves. It, it, it kind of wakens a warrior in, in, in us. Um, for reading, um, I think it makes us read in a highly inflected way because reading is never innocent. We always read in relation to the times in which we find ourselves and we read our times into whatever it is we're reading. It's a, it's a two-way thing. Um, and, and what our daily experiences are even, we find them in what we read in the evening. I do all the time. Yeah, our daily experiences, our daily fears, um, mm. our daily hopes. Um, so... For, for, for the writer, I think it increases a sense of responsibility. Um, not necessarily just to speak about these, these pressures that we're talking about, but maybe also to speak about hope. Maybe also to speak about the things that make us human, the things that unite us. Um, Do you know, um, I read an article in the New York Times the other day um, about Australia, and it was written by a journalist, an Australian journalist living in Japan, and she was looking in on us um, from her perspective and from what she knew of the country. And she talked about how affluence has changed Australia in a way that is not very flattering, you know, that, I mean, you know, the biggest fear here, and governments use it all the time, is uh, boat people and refugees. And sometimes I liken that fear to the US, like, you know, where it's, I think in the US, uh, I'm not describing this properly, but I'll say that, you know, abortion in the US is what refugees are in Australia. It's actually not a threat, but politicians use it as a tool every day. Um, and she was talking about that and how we've become a, the society that we have. And because of our affluence and because of our wealth, and we are one of the one of the wealthiest countries in the world, we could have been like New Zealand, or we could have been like, you know, some of the um, like Denmark or Switzerland. But instead, we chose to go down this path of fear and hatred. And I wonder how that is shaped, because that to me upsets me and makes me angry. But what shapes a country? How do we become that? Um. If you ask me honestly, I would say we become what we become as a result of the deep questions about ourselves that we are refusing to ask, or because of the deep true stories about ourselves that we have buried, um, which is to say if we look at our histories honestly yeah. um, and we're open to our histories and uh, open to what our histories tell us about how we got to where we are we will not be closed about our future it's only when we're closed to our history that we are closed to our future it's, it's a very very peculiar thing this is why this is why stories are important. This is why mm -hmm. storytellers are important because they remind us how we, how we got here. They remind us, um, of our, of our, of our, of our origins. Um, and they keep that alive in us. Mm -hmm. And they, 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 they enable us to constantly make a connection between our origins and, and our futures because they, 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 they link with one another. You take the case of America. 
you take the case of someone like Mr. Mr. Trump, who, who has, doesn't read, mind you, who doesn't read very mm. much, um, if at all, and who is putting up this p- politics of fear about about immigrants when he himself is of immigrant stock. Mm. Um, <laughs> Shameful. It, it's no, it's it's just a case of people connecting the dots between their origin and their future um, and the stories they tell. Someone who is uh, an immigrant, someone who is, someone who is, who is not originally of a place, should always, I think, keep a sense of the fact that as the world was open to them, they should also be open to the world. Um, and I'm not saying this in a in a in a mindless sense. Of course, we should. There should be a good balance between 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 these things. But that 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 shouldn't be a cause for fear. Um, in this country, we use it every day as a fear tool. Well, there isn't, there isn't, a, there isn't, a, there isn't a need for it. And if it's being used as a fear tool, um, it must signify uh, something else. It must signify. Uh, uh, it must hint at the fact that underneath the prosperity, there is um, anxiety, maybe even guilt. Because fear, it's very hard to awaken fear in in people who are genuinely contented. So, uh, I'm a storyteller, which, which means I'm always, I'm always looking at the secret causes behind the stories that the people tell right now in their present. And if you tell a fear story, and the story works on people, then there must be something underneath that the story is speaking to, that the fear story is speaking to. Otherwise, how can it work on people? Brexit is the same thing. If there wasn't... Um, an underlying anxiety, a deep underlying f- a fear about a, a, a shrinking place in the world. Why would people feel the need to be so protective about who they are? Do, do, do you we, understand what I'm trying to say? Oh, yeah. Here? I, I want to so, know so, what we're fearful of, though. Well, this is what... We you, are wealthy people. Well, wealth wealth doesn't mean that one doesn't have fears. I mean, wealth does not, wealth does not cover over. I mean, Donald Trump is a, is a wealthy man, and yet he's propagating this... This, 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 this philosophy of, so what does, what, what's going on here? It tell, it, it tells me that wealth, and wealth, or even being successful, does not really, um, cover up the underlying, the deep underlying stories, the deep underlying, um, anxieties. Um, it doesn't at all. Often, the success has come from those anxieties, has come from those, those deep things that we're not looking at. It was often because of those deep things we're not looking at, people have driven themselves to be successful. And in being successful, haven't answered it, haven't solved it, haven't dealt with it. It, it still remains there. What I'm trying to say is that the success and wealth is not a true indication of the contentment, the spiritual contentment mm. of, of a people. The true indication of a spiritual, spiritual contentment of a people is the way in which they relate to their present, the way in which they relate to others. That's the best guide. Ben, I want to tell you a story. Um, many years ago, I was in a, a, a personal flux. You know, I left my job. I bought a house. I didn't have another job. <laughs> I was like, what am I going to do? And I happened to be listening to the radio, um, ABC 702 here, the public broadcaster, and there was an indigenous elder on the radio talking about happiness. And I never caught his name. But he was saying that the problem with uh, white Australians and happiness is that it's always in the future. 
And so, you know, I'm going to be happy when I get that job. I'm going to be happy on Friday when I have two days off from work. But he said that the way that his people, the way they they think is that happiness is at that point in time right here. So me talking to you. So happiness is measured by the moment. And do you know that changed my life? Yes. It just resonated. I heard it at the right time. And from that point on, that's how I've measured happiness. And I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I think it, this is part of the problem um, of, 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 of our world, that we measure, um, we try and measure happiness by what we call success, by what we call wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, a lot of the wealthiest people I know um, have the hugest uh, psychiatry bills. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need another measure. Um, I think tranquility. Um, I love that word. Tranquility is wonderful. People think tranquility is, is, a, is, a, is a passive thing. Tranquility is dynamic. Yeah. Tranquility is forward-looking. Tranquility is... It's also a beautiful sounding word. Beautiful sounding word. Tranquility is actually very confident um, and very open to possibilities. Tranquility is playful. Tranquility is not afraid. Um, it's not defensive. Um, and- Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Just able to sort of actually speak and continue to exist from its flaws. Nobody's perfect. I'm no, we're not talking about perfection here. We're talking mm-hmm. about being at ease with mm-hmm. whatever one is and being able to move forward in the dance of life. Mm. From it. And accepting differences. Just Absolutely. To, just, you know, like Absolutely. for me, that is the interest and the curiosity in life is meeting other people and hearing their stories. Absolutely. It's the beauty of life. Um, homogeneity, homogeneity makes us flat. Um, and actually homogeneity makes us uncreative in the end. Um, it makes us, it makes us. Uh, What's the future it, of England? What's going to happen? I, I think I think Brexit is uh, uh, unfortunately rather good for England. I think um, I say this in, with a, a slight sense of grim humour. Um, a little bit of sarcasm, I a think. A tiny little bit of irony, um, <laughs> because as I keep saying, you know, um, we can't avoid our deep stories, our really deep stories, our deep unknown stories that's driving us. Um, because sooner or later, they come up in the world. 
in surprising dramatic ways. Um, and with Brexit, some of these unknown stories, these deep stories that England's been hiding from itself has come out. And the consequences of it will be felt. And if they go down the wrong road, they will be felt for generations. And nations need to feel these things. Nations need to, you know, let their deep stories come up, make their mistakes, live the consequences of those mistakes, and learn from them, if they're lucky. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't think nations are too old to learn. Um, you can be... So are you suggesting, and I might have this wrong, but are you suggesting that everybody needs a major shake-up in a way, like wars used to do, for example? I think everyone's going to get a major shake-up because we're none of us totally resolved uh, 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 as human beings or as nations. We're in constant, we're in a constant dialogue with our unfaced stories. Um, that's what we are. We're uh, we carry around uh, <laughs> all kinds of little minefields of uncom- unconfronted, untransformed stories inside us, and eventually they will emerge. Because that's what reality does. It, it's a constant encounter um, with with our with our deeper stories. That's what that's what that's what that's what the, the narrative of life really is. Mm. It's unavoidable. Do you know what I often think, um, and particularly when I look at the United States and what's happening over there, is how will history look back on us? Yes. Yes. How will history look back on this time? That we had too much. We were ungrateful. We began to hate. Yeah, that we had that we had that we had too much, and then we became un- unpleasant. Isn't that isn't that isn't that the story? Uh, isn't that the story of, um, of 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 humanity? You know, we 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 tend to be better when we're a bit poorer, when we're under you know great difficulties, when we're struggling um, um, our way up. Mm. We tend to be humbler. Uh, we tend to be nicer. Mm. And we get a bit successful, then we become unpleasant. We, we start to judge, we start to measure people uh, in relation to us, we start to look down on others. It's, it's, uh, and then we, you know, life comes along and hopefully gives us a good kick. And then we regain a bit of humility and a bit of um, affection for what it means to be human uh, all over again. So we're having the big kick at the moment? No, I think it's coming. Oh, you think it's coming? You think it's going to get it's, worse? It, it's, it's cyclical. It's cyclical. Mm-hmm. History swings for all sorts of reasons. And one of the reasons is that we just we just don't learn, you know. Do you know, that's so interesting. I remember um, when I was studying history in high school, I wasn't the best student. However, I loved the story yes. of the story. You know, I, it was the human stories that I often uh, learned from and took away with, with me. But when we studied you know, World War, War, World War II, for example, I kept thinking, where was the world? Like, say, for instance, in Germany, where was the world? Where, where were the people that could have stopped it? Where were the people that could have helped these people? And then as I started to grow up, I just thought, well, it's actually happening all the time. It's happening all the time, yeah. Atrocities yeah. are happening all the time. Yeah, it's, it's the, one of the premises of my new novel, The, the, the Freedom Artist, um, the prisons that we, <laughs> the prisons that we carry around in ourselves, the prisons that we, we create in our own minds, the prisons, um, that culture even sometimes, that education sometimes, um, 
is uh, inside us. Um, but they're invisible prisons. Um, and how, how they actually narrow our reality and in extreme cases, um, leads to very unfortunate and very unhappy times. Yeah. Um, speaking of, of your, your book, it's called The Freedom Artist. I was, it made me think a lot about the world that we're living in now, um, particularly here in Australia. And it made me think of, um, Jonathan Franzen's book, Freedom, as well, where we actually think we live in countries where there is freedom, but in actual fact, we're all prisoners yeah. of the way that we're supposed to live. So, you know, I feel particularly in this country that it's a police state and that it's a nanny state. And yes, we have more freedoms than a lot of other places in the world, but we're not totally free. We think we're totally free, but we're really not. We're stuck in this... Um, in this economic cycle of having to purchase things and, you know, having to work and having to commute and having to... That's not freedom. No, it's not freedom. But the thing is, when you're inside it and when you've been taught to think that that's how your life should be, it feels like freedom. For some people. Yes. Um, Do you feel free? Um, I'm constantly aware that there are all sorts of prisons inside mm -hmm. me that I have inherited, that I've been taught, um, that the authority figures <laughs> of, 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 of the race of the world have somehow planted in me, that one has to constantly transcend. Mm -hmm. I think freedom is a, is a dynamic thing, is an ongoing thing. Um, you fall asleep to the truth of what you, uh, um, imbibing you fall asleep to that and you're back in jail the thing is that there are many there are many prisons inside us mm. the cultural prisons the mm. perceptual prisons the demonos prisons mm. the aspirational prisons um, the idea of success that people might have itself could be a giant prison do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. The mortgage, the endless yeah. credit card life, yeah. the the things you ought to do, um, which which are which are not one's life. The one's 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 life is one's own life. Yeah. Um, and I I don't feel that we're taught to ask fundamental questions yeah. about about how we're supposed to live. Because, because the state would be destabilized mm. by us asking fundamental questions. We're, we're sort of meant to be a bit tranquilized and to wander along the path. Mm. Um, and sometimes those paths can turn quietly sinister. Mm. It can suddenly be those people are enemies. Mm. Those people are dangerous to us. And we believe it because we've been believing and going along mm. uh, for, for, for a long time. So I've, questions. Yeah. I feel freedom came to me as I got older because I started to question more and I needed less. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you feel the same, yes. Yes. but I, I feel that I've reached an age where mm, I don't need much. You know, yeah. I've got, I'm very happy with what I've got. It's not a lot and it's perfect. But I am still sometimes frightened or shaken by the ugliness that is out there. I was at, I was crossing the road. 
um, not so long ago. And these children pulled up in a car. They were, you know, old enough to drive, so they were 19, 20. And they started shouting abuse at my parents, being a Lebanese Australian. Yes. And racist, wow. horrible. And, you know, I would have thought that at this age I was above that or beyond that and that's not going to hurt me. But, you know, I crossed that road and I could not stop shaking. Yes. And I was very, very emotional and tearful. So it's amazing how you can move along in this world confidently yeah. and living and then the hatred just comes in out yeah. of the blue, boom. Yeah, it's the hatred of people who are um, in a in a in a prison of lies that they've been taught about others. Yeah. Um, and who are themselves, I think, kind of uh, deeply unconsciously aware of um, how miserable they are. Yeah. Um, but you know, we live in a world of um, so many unfreedoms. We do. We really, really do. We do. Now, listen. I need you to read something for me because. This is a book where every word, I think, is, is considered, it's, it's a work of fiction, but every sentence is almost standalone. Oh, thank um, you. I worked, I worked very hard. <laughs> I've, been, I've been carrying this book for almost 30 years in my soul. Wow. Well, it does show. Um, and I'd like you to read us something out of it, yeah, just do, a small do, passage. Do you, have, do you have a passage that you... Uh, no, I'm going to let you choose, actually. Really? Oh, yeah. I was, I was but going... I think about freedom. Um, I was I was hoping you would, but why don't I choose this little? Okay, why don't you choose it? I think you, I think your choice might be better than mine. Go on. <laughs> why do we Why do we do a bit of both? Okay, yeah. you choose first. Um, as you, you you told a story earlier, um, at least a premise, um, novelist set, um, in a world quite close to ours. Where the, where the prisons are invisible. Um, but it has a certain effect on people. There were, in those times, two classes of people. One, the overwhelming majority, were the normal people. They did not speak much. They did their work, fulfilled their obligations, raised their families, read the newspapers, absorbed all they read, watched television, and believed all they saw. They kept their nightmares to themselves. They constituted the highest presence in hospital wards and psychiatric clinics. They had, as a running music in their heads, a steady, unchanging drone. And yet, at night, in room after room, across council estates, or in rich suburbs, screams could be heard coming from their beds. They shouted in their sleep and howled like frightened animals. This could be heard at night all across the land. It became so common that soon it was considered the normal mode of sleep. That is to say, no one noticed it anymore that's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful okay I'm going to find my passage so just bear with me I think it was near the end here while you're finding it I'll just go on reading shall I yes the second kind of people 
looked like the first, except for one thing. They were more alert. They didn't sleep much at night. Their eyes had a constant wakefulness. They didn't much read the newspapers. They treated television as a daily farce and believed nothing of what they saw or heard. Have you found it yet? Mm-hmm. Keep going now. They were the few. They worked as little as possible and yet were immensely productive. They seemed solitary but were not lonely. They could be often heard humming a piece of music to themselves. They seemed absent when present but when they were present they seemed absent when present but they were present when absent. They did not scream in their sleep and never had nightmares. Mm. Okay, before uh, you're going to read mine, but before you do, oh, I think you should. I love. I love to hear. I read it? Uh, yeah, I love to okay. hear it in your voice. Um, I do want to um, just read one of the pages at the beginning of the book, which I've never come across. <laughs> <laughs> I've been reading for a very long time, and this is the first time that I've come across this. So, after the introduction and the first couple of pages, and after the verso, there is a blank page, and at the bottom of the page, there are two words. And truly, it was mind-blowingly perfect for me. The two words are, read slowly. It's perfect for this ah, book. Thank you. Now, I don't know, is it Karnak? Karnak. Um, Around that time, Karnak was standing at his window when he caught a glimpse of a world flashing across the sky. He buried outside, he hurried outside to get a better view. When he got down to the street, he found that quiet crowd had gathered. They were all looking up, as if expecting an invasion from the sky or the transfiguration of the heavens. There was wonder on their upturned faces. Kanak asked what was happening. No one answered. They just gazed at the sky. There were thick clouds above, not rain clouds, but mass clouds, just a journey of fugitive monsters. However, it was not the sense of the of threat that showed on the gathered faces. It was the beginnings of astonishment. It occurred to Kanak that they were awaiting a miraculous event. Mm, beautiful, thank you. It is beautiful. You read it well. Ben Okri, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audio books are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.